Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Hello and welcome to the Location Matters podcast. My name's Sarah Butler, your podcast host. I'm delighted to be back with you today uh, because today we're talking about the way we can use maps, earth observations, technology, satellite imagery to convey really, really important messages about the world that we live in and our climate and what the impacts of our, you know, being on this planet can can do to the places that we love. And we're going to be talking particularly about Australia today. We're going to talk about some other places in the Pacific as well. But what we're actually going to be talking about is Coastal Risk Australia, which recently had an update. So in Australia, coastal risk due to a rise in sea level is a threat that we're going to face over the next century. And based on a climate change report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, by 2100, global sea levels could have increased by 0.84 metres. This means billions of dollars worth of infrastructure and private property would be affected. But in partnership with Frontier SI, NGIS has developed Coastal Risk Australia to illustrate the severity of rising sea levels based on the latest scientific modelling via an interactive map, which is accessible to the public, which is really, really amazing. And on today's episode, we're going to be chatting with the people responsible for this game-changing tool. But first, I want to introduce my co-host, Claire Wilson. She's actually in our marketing team. And for our listeners that have probably been with me now for about three, four seasons of Location Matters, I'm actually having a baby. So I'm going to be taking a bit of time off work to do that. And I'm bringing Claire onto the podcast to get to know you guys. And you guys can get to know Claire. She has done one co-hosting gig before in the last season. But Claire's going to join me today. Claire, thank you for being here. And please let everybody know who you are. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Sarah, for that wonderful intro. My name is Claire and I am in the marketing team here at NJS. Um, My title is Marketing Coordinator and I work with Sarah and our other team members across all the brands. What I would like to do now is actually have our guests introduce themselves. So I might throw to you Nathan first. Thanks, Claire. So Nathan Eaton, I'm a director at NGIS and I've been responsible for a lot of the work that we're doing around sustainable development, sourcing, environmental and climate change applications. Mm-hmm. And great to be here. Wonderful. He's a veteran. He's a <laughs> podcast veteran. I am, actually. He sure mm. is. And um, now I'd like to throw to our guest on today's podcast for the very first time ever, Graham Koenig from Frontier SI. Hi, Graham. G'day. Uh, thanks for having me, all three of you. Um, First time, what is it, long time listener, first time caller? <laughs> <laughs> Graham, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Because this is the first time they're hearing from you on our podcast. Sure thing. So, uh, my name's Graham Koenig. I'm the CEO of Frontier SI. And Frontier SI is a applied research and innovation organisation. We're actually a uh, work across Australia, New Zealand, and we are a not for profit. Um, we work with government private sector and universities. And our objective really is to bring space and spatial technologies into real world products and services. So um, we do that with a really strong purpose and that's about delivering economic growth and improved environmental and social wellbeing in the spatial industry across Australia and New Zealand. We are very pleased to have you here on the podcast today. To kick things off, Nathan, Along with Graham, you're involved in the launch of the Coastal Risk Australia and Frontier SI collaboration. How did the idea to make a tool to map rising sea levels around Australia's coast come about? 
Well, Claire, I can probably talk to how this came about from some of the recent work we've been involved with in the Pacific. Um, but I think our work between Frontier SI and NGIS goes back a fair way before that. So I think, Dr Koenig, you were involved in some of the, the really early collaborations, weren't you, mate? I was. So this goes back really in, um, to 2007. So that's a very long way. Um, and, and it came about really through um, uh, what used to be called COAG or the Council of Australian Governments identifying a national priority to look at rising sea levels. And so one of the key things that they were looking to pull together was a, was a better digital elevation model to, to do some um, coastal modelling. So that, that, was a, that was mandated under the, the COAG. Um, and that led to a project called the National Elevation Data Framework, which was basically a partnership between Australian New Zealand Land Information Council or ANSLIC, um, Commonwealth Department of Climate Change, Geoscience Australia and the Cooperative Research for Centre for Spatial Information or CRCSI, which is actually the predecessor organisation for Frontier. And so basically that group got together, developed up a um, science plan, a business plan, a national, a national case, did a fair bit of extensive user needs analysis to, to come together in a really collaborative way to develop a whole range of, of material really. Um, and so, yeah, it ended up being um, started off with the data. And at the end of the day, we had over 300,000 kilometres worth of high resolution elevation data collected um, and really synthesised um, anything from really Cooktown right around to Adelaide on um, that whole entire coast of the east and then um, a really strong amount of the, the west as well. So basically anywhere there was um, there was coastal infrastructure in the country. So that led to a, a really high resolution elevation data set. So that was, a, that was, I guess, the first part of it. The second part really was that sort of spawned a whole lot of management, um, governance, licensing approaches that really looked at how you better collect um, really big LIDAR sets. So that led to um, a distribution portal, which is um, still exists today. It's now called Elvis. It's built out of the Geoscience Australia website, and that uh, fundamentally distributes high-resolution elevation data sets right across the country. And then the final, I guess, part of it was there was a an annual release or a, a regular release of data that's a national elevation data um, set that's, um, that's now publicly available. Now, that um, was the real underpinning piece for for the work that's um, turned into coastal risk. And, and part of that, so what I've talked about is data, I've talked about guidelines, I've talked about policies, collection methods, but really um, getting that to the public, the last mile of that, so that everyone could consume it and understand what all that complex data was telling us, that, that came through coastal risk. Mm. And then sort of enter NGIS, I suppose. Yeah, so we were involved in that early work with Frontier SI, and we've been working with the team there for a couple of decades now. And so... Graham really touched on all the fundamental data that was required, which is absolutely underpinning what we're doing in Coastal Risk Australia. But then Graham also talked around how we then took all of that information science and actually tried to put it into a platform which made climate science accessible and easy to understand and use. And so fast forward to 2014, NGOs and Frontier SI had the opportunity to work together for the PACSAP program, which is the Pacific Australia Climate Change Science Adaptation Program where we actually worked with four different countries, Tonga, Samoa, Vanuatu and PNG, and actually providing them this fundamental data, so the LIDAR data that Graham was talking about. 
But then we really got a chance to focus on how we build capacity for those countries to perform the inundation modelling themselves so they can actually adapt to changing science. But then also how we actually present this, this information and risk to end users. And we were lucky enough through that program to basically keep iterating. For each country, we'd go through, get lessons learnt, look at how the information is being used and how users are engaging with the data and science. And then we got to improve country after country after country. And by the time we got to Vanuatu, we had a really clear view of what success looked like for us, which was how do we communicate climate change science effectively and how do we really distill it down to what's the key message? What do we really want to get across? When people come into this app, we want them to understand what we're trying to say straight away without having to go through and dig underneath all of the data. And that then formed the basis of what we then brought across into Australia, which, as Graham was talking about, we had access to the data from the Elvis program from Geoscience Australia, which is around 260,000 kilometres of, of high-resolution LiDAR, and we wanted to make that highly accessible. So by combining that fundamental data with the latest science from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, we were then able to put that together to show communities what the, the actual science looks like on the ground. Yeah, I mean, this is nothing, for me anyway, I would rather sort of take that information in on an interactive tool than sit there sifting through data. But, you know, sometimes people release these big, long-winded, like, paper reports and you're flicking through all the text. You know, maps are so powerful in communicating that message, I'd say, for sure. Um, I'm mindful that we might have listeners who don't actually know what Coastal Risk Australia is in terms of the way that they can access it. Graham, can you let us know, I guess, at a high level... Um, how people can actually absorb this information that you and Nathan are talking about. How can they get their hands on the tools? So coastalrisk.com.au is where all the magic happens. And so that that's really, as Nathan described, it's the platform where all the data is brought together and it's really um, simple, easy to use interface, which allows you to have a look at any area in Australia, drive right into that, model the IP, either use the IPCC scenarios or use your own um, thoughts on what level of water you'd like to see inundating the property of area or the area you're looking at. And, and so that's, it's just, as Nathan said, it's really easy to use, really simple. And you can, um, you can work your way around the country and pick areas of interest. And that's where it's getting a lot of, lot of interest. Everyone's interested in seeing whether their coastal properties are going to be inundated under each scenario over the next hundred years. We have such a high coastal like living population in terms of like, you know, what you see of people living inland. So I'm not surprised that <laughs> you've got lots of people interested in seeing that. There's nothing more that than Australians like than a water view. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're about to get one by the looks of it in some places. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, okay, so maybe we'll throw it to Nathan now. Could you tell us why maps are the best way to communicate rising sea levels to the public, especially using Google Earth Engine? Yeah, it's a good question and I think Sarah's comment there around comparing reports to visualisations and in some visualisations that can tend to be overly complex as well. I think the key with Coast Risk Australia is simplicity and it's, it takes quite a lot of effort to actually architect simplicity um, for web applications. But as well as trying to keep it simple, it's trying to personalise the information and science. So when the IPCC comes out and basically makes the statement of a predicted sea level rise of 84 centimetres by 2100, it's all about personalising that for communities, for, for people to be able to go through and actually see what does this science actually mean for me? And it's different for every community. Um, so when we factor in local tide gauges, local tidal information, and then the local topography, 
Um, only then combine that with the science to get a really good view of, of how this impacts one area compared to another because all, all areas impacted differently. Um, and we can't build seawalls around the entire coastline of Australia. So understanding which communities are impacted the most is really the first step towards adaptation. And I think something important for us to acknowledge right now is that you, you did mention this before, but I want to reiterate it, is that this is... Um, we're talking about coastal risk like it's a new thing. It's not, um, especially for Coastal Risk Australia, because you had a version before this um, IPCC report, which, remind me, was built in 2014? I 15, I think. 15, yeah, 2015. Um, and that was based on a set of data. And it's only been in this year that you've had new data really to work with to remodel. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I think the, the first one in 2015 was built on IPCC fifth assessment report. Um, and if you go back to that, I think the science indicated that the highest scenario was a 74 centimetre sea level rise by 2100. Um, with the updated six assessment report this year, um, that has increased to roughly the equivalent of 84 centimetres. And more importantly, the six assessment report also um, looked at what a very unlikely, what a very high scenario could look like. And that was stated at being a two-metre sea level rise by 2100 and a five-metre sea level rise by 2150. And so we really wanted to take the opportunity to show people what that actually looks like. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that only came out – Was when was it, Graham? It was mid this year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was around July, actually. So you, you're right talking a little bit about the, the um, IPCC data. That comes out periodically depending on um, their um, assessments – Worth noting also that the, they're more confident than about the data this time around than they were previously, and you'd expect that as you get more data, your models improve, you get more contributions from science. So you know, increasingly as these reports get released over time, we'll see we'll just see narrower confidence levels and better, I guess, better modelling. Um, but the other thing that perhaps is worth raising is that the, we we can um, update the data to the latest national elevation models at any time that can be dropped in and um, in the other piece that is in there is uh, there's quite a lot of data it's quite complicated um, but there's also some um, tide data that comes from CSIRO and the website was back in the day that you just mentioned around 2014 15 16 was also done with uh, with NCARF which is a was the National Climate Change Adaptation Research Facility from memory Nathan and um, that and that's also linked to the coast of that website so that's still maintained and um, it's hand in glove with coastal risk and just on the, the IPCC six assessment report as well as Graham was was mentioning there um, the science is evolving quite rapidly and this time around there was more information in Riga around some of the rapid ice sheet melt in Greenland and the Antarctic. So that's what's led to increased or improved predictions. Um, and that's going to continue to evolve. And so one of, as Graham was mentioning, the ability to incorporate new data, one of our key areas of focus was to make this platform approach really scalable. So once the science is released, we then can make that available within a very short period of time, which is what we did this year. Well, I was curious to know if the two of you had predicted... Um, that you would update the modelling this year based off the IPCC report that was due to come out? No, we definitely weren't prepared to update it. The report came out. Um, it was um, quite an extensive report. I think it was 3,500 pages or somewhere thereabouts. And once you sift through the global implications and then narrow that down to Australia, it took a little while to sift through that and um, work out what that meant for the for this country and um, then... Um, 
through NGIS kindly offering to do the work. Um, it's, it's been great to see the results now of the update and it's um, certainly had a lot of press around the country as people have received that. Mm. Um, we've talked a fair bit about it in, in the media um, and it's getting a lot of use. Yeah, definitely. I remember the day that this report came out and it was all over every social platform everywhere. And, um, you know, people that have no connection to the geospatial community or science are just so interested in, in what this data means. And I think that that's really where the beauty of Coastal Risk Australia is, is that it's the visualisation and the, the impact of this. I think it's very scary for people as well can if I can just bring it up because I I'm glad you raised that Claire because I'm going off piste here a bit but I actually saw it across all of my social media platforms and I saw lots of negative comments around well people have been telling us this for years that my house is going to be flooded 10 years ago and it's still here and all of that but I think that it kind of seeing the visualization and seeing the impact of it it brings out a certain it could bring out you know people going okay crap we need to do something about this but I think that you also get a population going, oh, okay, this scares me a little bit and brings out a defensive side of people because of the reality of, of what they're seeing, the scale of what they're seeing. Yeah, and this is a valid concern. And Graham would know that the, the first release of Coastal Risk Australia almost didn't go ahead um, because of this exact reason, um, with some concern over how this information would actually be used and how it could be communicated effectively. And at the end of the day, I think, Graham, we were really focused on... The, we don't own this science. What we're trying to do is, is communicate that climate change science effectively um, and to strip that back to, to basically provide that awareness raising by actually making the visual product highly accessible. So that's really been our key focus to, to really take that approach. Would you say, Graham? Yeah, abs absolutely. And um, there was, yeah, there was a lot of toing and froing from uh, our end on with, with, because we did a very, uh, you know, fairly extensive stakeholder consultation phase there was a lot of a lot of data being collected on the coast and people were interested in how that data was going to be used councils in particular um, there was a lot of policy development occurring at state government level as well so quite a lot of interest in this and people thinking well you know how do I how do I respond to this and how do I plan for it and what do I do about it because it does affect uh, planning regulations it affects the way councils budget it affects how they work with the community affects how they um, work on mitigation strategies so all of that as Nathan said conjures up uncertainty and people are fearful of that and, and don't know how to I guess process it also don't know how to um how they can make an impact on on making change themselves. So it's it, the tool actually brings all that to the fore. Yeah, and on that, I think one of the things we, we really do want to do as part of this process is to create the awareness and then start the conversation and then get communities, governments to actually take the next step. So, for instance, if there's an area where there's been new development and we didn't have the most up-to-date data, it's really then the next conversation of no problem. So, so get the new data and actually perform more advanced hydro modelling around that area so you can have another level of detail to what we provide you. But at a high level, what we do is highlight all the low-lying areas around Australia that are most at risk. And so we want to then lead to further analysis so that the, the adaptation measures can be put in place for those areas. So that's... Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for, for going into that. And thank you, Claire, for bringing up the social media point because that was something I'd noticed that I had um, wondered about and actually pondered on myself. And um, highly political 
space as well, just judging by what you guys were just saying there. I didn't realise that it almost didn't launch. That's a really, that's a piece of information in three years that I'd never heard. It almost didn't and um, we got Graham to thank for that one. He got it across the line. <laughs> oh, go Graham. So I just want to re-clarify, I guess, the collaboration around Frontier SI and NGIS. So tell me if I've got this wrong, but Graham, I'm guessing Frontier, you guys bring together all these different data sets and all these different pieces of information and you kind of bring them together and then is it NGIS is providing the visualisation piece, is that correct? I think that's a good summary. There's a bit more in that. Um, I think they do, NGIS does a little bit more than just do the last mile. I, I mean, um, there's a fair bit in the science un, in understanding how to communicate it, in bringing that data together, fusing it. It's to get it to get all that working properly. There's a, there's a lot to do. So I wouldn't undersell your business. Oh, um, I didn't mean start. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nate. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the first thing. I guess. Um, you know, the primary role for us was really providing the platform in which we could bring together the literally hundreds of organisations, particularly at the data acquisition phase, um, work through how you'd handle this all at a, a national level in terms of governance and licensing, prototyping that distribution tool we talked about, Elvis, um, which is now a really solid part of the um, the landscape in terms of spatial data. And then, yeah, just working out how you fundamentally communicate it and that's where the tool comes in that's where the science comes in because you want to make sure that um, when you communicate it science scientists are, are happy with what they're seeing as well as the the person in the street that knows nothing about sea level rise so we had to cover a fair few bases to get to where we are today i think just going back onto to graham's comment around frontier si i think the key thing in terms of how this collaboration really took place and, and what we see from Frontier SI is Frontier SI are really the facilitators of really the most important spatial projects going on in the, in the Australian region. Um, and so what we do is, is we really enjoy working with like-minded organisations that are looking to innovate and achieve. So we're really fortunate to have Frontier SI on the forefront of looking at how we can actually impact with spatial technology um, and then just really trying to broker up all the different relationships that, that do take a lot of, a lot of work. So our role is to, to help them implement the applications, but there's a lot that goes into it from the Frontier SI point of view. Um, a key example of that is Coast Risk Australia wouldn't be here without the actual um, digital elevation model that Graham talked about previously. So that nationwide data set that's now hosted through Elvis from Geoscience Australia simply doesn't exist without Frontier SI and some of their work. And that's the fundamental building block for how we can actually do the, the inundation modelling. So as well as picking up that massive data set, so 260,000 square k's of, of LiDAR, five metre resolution, we then put that into a high-performing cloud platform, which is really where we focus with a number of organisations. It's implementing cloud geo applications that can scale and accelerate how we deliver some of these products, um, which was key for us, and, and particularly when we were designing this for Frontier SI, is actually putting together an infrastructure that when we did have the new science updated, it wasn't months to then redo the application. It was literally days. So that was really key for us in, in how we put this together. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the technology, though, in terms of what you asked the team to build? It's, it's Google Earth Engine, isn't it? Yeah, it's Google through and through. So Google Earth Engine is the, the back-end engine, if you like, that allows us to dynamically process and analyse all of the, the digital elevation model that, that Graham was talking about. So that does all of the heavy lifting, essentially. And it really is an end-to-end EO platform. Um, and it's just been showcased recently on, on a couple of different stages, um, which is fantastic. Uh, and then Google Maps is the, the frontline visualisation tier. So to really make sure that we're delivering that information through 
a mechanism that's really familiar to people, which Google Maps is. So, and we've been tremendously supported by the Google team as well, I should shout out, in terms of this particular initiative and actually making this infrastructure available for, for coastal risk. Mm. We've talked a bit about already what the numbers are. You know, if, if sea level rises by 0.84 metres um, by 2100, uh, that's obviously quite a huge increase. Uh, could I ask both Nathan and Graham? What what kind of scenarios are we looking at here? What's the realization of that? Uh, I th- look, there's there's a lot, right? Um, you the the sea rises, um, but the land disappears at a much greater rate than 0.84. So the effect um, the effect of that moving, um, you know, you're going to lose a lot, lot more land than 0.84 meters vertical, right? So so that, that there's going to be quite a, ret- a retreat um, if if nothing's done. And Nathan mentioned seawalls earlier, so we'll see quite a lot of coastal erosion, whether that be beaches lost, um, land lost. Um, that's that's going to occur across the country, which means that owners are going to lose some of their land. And some some um, some of that will erode away. We'll lo- we might lose some houses that are close to the to the coast. The other piece to talk about here is that sea level rise is a function of climate change, and climate change has other effects besides sea level rise. And one of those is um, is storm events, uncertainty around the we- the weather patterns, and the climate change itself. And so um, so coincidental events mean you might get a lot of rain close to the coast, which which exacerbates the effects of sea level rise as well. So we'll see inundation where we've never seen it before, um, or, or certainly in, um, since since the um, in the last couple of hundred years, uh, recorded history. We'll see we'll see councils having to think very carefully about those new scenarios and how they um, mitigate that through building um, building I guess sinks that allow you to to soak up some of that inundation. So how you build seawalls, how you protect some of that coastal asset, and then definitely changes in planning regs. They, they will continue to change. They have already. Um, and so we'll see, I'll say, more conservative building next to the coast, which is really um, needed. And with that global warming, I think um, with every degree of global warming, so there's been a lot of talk around keeping it under 1.5 degrees at recent COP26, but for every one degree in global warming, you go from what would normally be a one in 100 year event, like Graham was talking about, that then becomes an every year event. So that's the impact of global warming as well. So what we do is, is kind of show what the, the highest astronomical tide will look like. But as Graham was talking about, that's just part of the story. That doesn't include storm surge. It doesn't include wave run up. So all of those factors come into play. Um, but what we're doing is, is starting that conversation by actually highlighting that the lowest lying areas that are most at risk. Were there any um, particular places around Australia that you noticed if those events took place are going to be particularly, like, affected? Like, anywhere of note that people would think about and go, oh, wow, really, that place? Like, that's going to be really badly inundated? I look I look locally. Uh, I guess I live in Melbourne, so we have a look. And certainly if you look at some of those scenarios, um, Nathan mentioned they're highly unlikely at this stage, the five-metre one, but even the two-metre one, which is somewhat unlikely at 2100. So the five-metre at 2150 and the two-metre at 2100 really hit the CBD of Melbourne quite hard. Um, and also around Western Port Bay, um, around Point Cook area in Victoria, and then certainly around... Geelong CBD and and some of that Bellarine Peninsula. So just speaking in the Victorian context, you see you see um, the infrastructure and they're being quite affected by those um, significant sea level rise predictions. 
Well, this is, I mean, this is the beauty of Coastal Risk Australia, isn't it? Because the first thing we all think about is how does this impact me where I am, where I live? And so the fact that you went straight to Melbourne, Graham, it makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm sure, Nathan, you're, you're a WA guy. You're probably like, what does this mean for WA? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I think if you go around and have a look, every state's got low-lying areas that are at risk. Um, and particularly some of the areas with high tide fluctuations. So up the, up the north of Queensland, for example, you can see some, some pretty significant predicted impacts. But uh, there's, there's such a large coastline that there are so many different um, communities that will be at risk. All right. Um, well, I think that's all we have time for. We've, we've talked quite extensively today about Coastal Risk Australia, our collaboration with um, Frontier SI from an NJS perspective, and, and then taking it right back down to an individual level. How does it impact people in their homes? Um, so now I would just like to throw to both Nathan and Graham again and um, ask you both, where can listeners go to learn more about Coastal Risk Australia and access the web map? Coastalrisk.com.au <laughs> will, will get you a long way to having a look at your local area and areas of interest for you. Um, so please visit that, have a good look around. Any, anywhere else, Nathan, that you would recommend? I think there was a press release, wasn't there? Yeah, there's a few press releases, but as Graves said, you go straight to their website and there's some initial spots that are showcased on the, on the landing page, which you can go to to have a look at. But um, as Graves said, go through and have a look at your community. That's really what we wanted to, to make available. I think the other thing I would recommend as well is that, you know, um, Frontier Assign and NGIS are doing a really good job in communicating this, what I would consider to be pretty complex science at, at times. I would really strongly recommend that um, any of our listeners who find this topic interesting and you're wondering how you can learn more or even be involved, um, go and follow Frontier SI and NGIS Australia on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you can find everybody. It's, it's a really nice way to receive the information. There's always little updates and things going on. Um, and particularly if you're somebody that would love to work with these tools and, and get involved with this kind of process, it's you know, there are opportunities, right, to to get involved and, and to help build out amazing tools like this. I know there is an NGIS anyway. We have, um, you know, people working in our team who are extremely experienced in um, in working on tools like Google Earth Engine and being able to do these cool sort of um, projects that, you know, help make our world a better place, right, Nate? Absolutely. So, yeah, jump on and have a look at both websites. Um, while we've got you on the, uh, on the podcast, Graham, because this is your, your first time. Just interested in some of the, the projects that Frontier SI Frontier is involved with currently. I know there's a fair bit going on, but are there a couple of key projects that, uh, that you're looking at that you're most excited about? Uh, I think we're, um, we've, we've been involved in some um, pretty high profile projects over the last few years that's, that, are, that are kicking along. Um, we, we, we started talking about elevation data. That's one of the, the, the sort of key spatial data sets. Another Another is um, positioning data. So we're doing quite a little uh, bit of work with the states and Geoscience Australia, looking at how you can make positioning data more available to all Australians, for, you know, at an in, I guess at an industry level, but then also we'll see that come through on our mobile phones over the next few years. So um, the, the work we're doing right now is that we're doing a fair bit of R&D around um, getting better accuracy and um, better continuity of signal, but we're also um, working on some demonstrators next year. Um, now that we can actually do some demonstrators, we have been a bit hamstrung in the last 12 months on the East Coast to um, plan and, and run some of those due to COVID, but 
Um, we're very, very excited to get out and about next year and demonstrate some positioning technologies. That's a that's a project personally for me that I'm pretty excited about. Um, we'll be testing that with a number of industry partners um, across different platforms, 5G included, doing some testing with some um, some people like Ericsson and Optus. Um, that'll be that'll be really exciting. So that's a, that's a really key one for us. We're also um, doing quite a lot with the individual states around digital twin technology and how you develop use cases, bring data together, build standards around digital twin. And that's really about showcasing the predictive forecasting that you can really develop out of spatial data. So, so very excited about some of the work we're doing there as well. I think, oh, if I can, I just would like to mention that we did also record a podcast recently regarding First Nations Earth observations which I believe, Graham, is something as well you're involved in because with the Winyama team, who obviously have a very, very close relationship with NGIS Australia, we've just recently recorded a podcast about that really exciting project and uh, Frontier SI came up there too. We did, so that's great. That, that is a great project. I, I won't talk to it because you already have, but, yeah, we are doing um, a bit of work with there as well. That's a, just one of the many um, interactions we've got with NGIS and some of our partners. So it's very exciting stuff. We can um, we can talk about the tech that sits in the spatial industry and then the space industry all day because um, it really is very interesting in the way you can think about applying it to different industry applications. Mm, and wonderful to be able to use it to build capacity for our Indigenous communities. Okay, well, guys, anything that you've mentioned today um, will go in the show notes. So if you do listen to Location Matters and you've liked what you've heard today, I'll be including links to all of the resources in our podcast show notes. And to access those, you go to ngis.com.au. Under Newsroom, there's Podcasts. That'll take you to our Captivate FM page and there you'll see all those links there. So links to Coastal Risk, although it is pretty easy to Google it, it will come up straight away if you Google Coastal Risk Australia. Um, But any of those other resources too that have been mentioned will be linked. But we do have to end the podcast there today. I'm sure there'll be many more like it going into the future with the great work that Frontier SI and NGIS are doing. First up, Claire, thank you for being on the podcast and co-hosting. It's not going to be your last rodeo. Uh, We're going to be doing more of these while you get used to using all this equipment and everything like that. Graham, thank you. Thank you very, very much for being on. I hope we can get you on here again. And thank you for doing it virtually for us from Melbourne. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And Nathan, I'm going to keep signing you up for podcasts, even if you're too busy for them. Oh, it's great to be on there with Dr Koenig. He's (laughs) one of my favourite people in the spatial industry. So an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Graham. Awesome. And if you guys like what you listen to here on Location Matters, don't forget you can subscribe to us and you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.